in uh, the book of 1 Peter. We begin a new book, a book that is uh, relevant to our times, perhaps very relevant as well in uh, our situation, depending on where you're at. A book that speaks to each of us in the area of suffering, for life is not always the easiest. And Peter here is well acquainted with that as he writes in the book of 1 Peter. And our scripture reading will come from that as we read from the first nine verses of the book of First Peter. And we'll begin in chapter 1. First Peter, chapter 1. Written by the Apostle Peter sometime around 64-65 A.D., just before or after the burning of Rome by Nero. He writes this. First Peter, chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, but believe in him, You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our Father, with joy inexpressible as your word has declared, we look forward to that day when your Son will come to redeem us and translate us up to heaven. And so, Father, as we look into your word now, we pray, Lord, enlighten our hearts and grant to us understanding that we might, Father, realize the privilege that it is to know you as aliens and strangers in a foreign land, to be chosen by you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Some people have had tough days, tough years, tough weeks. Now, those of you who watched the game yesterday know that it was a pretty tough day for our own Seahawks. Some people have had tough times, and this book is written for that. There's a classic example that bears repeating, perhaps, of a hard hat construction worker who came upon a house that had been damaged by a hurricane And this is what he writes in his accident report to this construction worker, or of himself. He writes, quote, When I got to the building, I found that the hurricane had knocked off some bricks around the top. 
So I rigged up a beam with a pulley at the top of the building and hoisted up a couple of barrels full of bricks. When I had fixed the damage area, there were a lot of bricks left over. And then I went to the bottom and began releasing the line. Unfortunately, the barrel of bricks was much heavier than I, and before I knew what was happening, the barrel started coming down, jerking me up. I decided to hang on, since I was too far off the ground by then to jump. And halfway up, I met the barrel of bricks coming down fast. I received a hard blow on my shoulder. I then continued to the top, banging my head against the beam and getting my fingers pinched and jammed in the pulley. When the barrel hit the ground, it burst its bottom, allowing the bricks to spill out. Well, I was now heavier than the barrel. So I started down again at high speed and halfway down I met that barrel coming up fast and received severe injuries to my shins. And when I hit the ground, I landed on the pile of spilt bricks getting several painful cuts and deep bruises. At this point, I must have lost my presence of mind because I let go of my grip of the line. Well, the barrel came down fast, giving me another blow on my head and putting me in the hospital. I respectfully request sick leave, unquote. <laughs> a tough day. And for some of you, maybe you've had a tough week or a tough year when you look back at 2007 and you hope that 2008 will be much better for you. Well, the Lord has never promised us an easy life, has He? He's never promised that our Christian life would be a bed of roses. He's never promised that, well, that uh, the job that we have would be perfect. The kids that we raise would be perfect and obedient. Nor would you live happily ever after with your husband or wife. Rather, most people, they get jobs and they think to themselves, I wish that my job were a little bit more fulfilling or joyful. Or perhaps they would uh, think that perhaps my kids would be a little bit more obedient or thoughtful. Or my spouse, I wish they would perhaps meet more of my needs and desires. But far beyond that, life isn't easy for most people. And there are times in our life when we have difficulties, particularly being Christians. The Lord has told us that we would have difficulties being Christians, not simply in life. He says in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. For he tells you in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Or the things that I have spoken unto you, Jesus says, So that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So when we have difficulties in life, when we have problems in life, particularly because we are believers, because we are Christians in life, how is it that God has told us that we're to face suffering and difficult times or people mistreating us for various, various things because we are believers? Sometimes it's maybe because we just have difficulties for various things that we have said, testifying of our own faith. Now, the readers of this letter were particularly acquainted with that. They were particularly acquainted with hard times because the readers of this letter, they weren't people who were living a comfortable lifestyle. 
in an area that was free and where they could practice their faith in Christ. You know, Christians during this time, they were facing things like rejection or ostracism because of their faith. They were maligned or ridiculed for their faith. They were seen as rebellious. They were mocked and some were even killed for their faith. They had difficulties, all right, and so Peter writes this letter to them. They were well acquainted with persecution. It began with the time of Christ when the leaders, the religious leaders, were jealous. And they believed that Jesus was a false messiah, and so they crucified him. But after Jesus, they went after the apostles, and the apostles were jailed and beaten for preaching about Christ. And that didn't stop with them, for there in Acts chapter 6... Stephen spoke boldly about the risen Savior. And for that, he was stoned. And his martyrdom was spearheaded by a man named Saul of Tarsus. And though his martyrdom caused many Christians to scatter and the gospel to continue to move throughout the area of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the Christians faced persecution. During the time of King Herod, James was beheaded. But God poured out His grace still upon His people. He poured out His grace upon His people by saving a man who had spearheaded the stoning of Stephen, and that was Saul of Tarsus. And he who was the chief persecutor became the most zealous missionary, and his name was Paul. But he too suffered for his testimony of Christ. What began as individual persecution upon various people like the apostles or upon Stephen or upon Paul became more, became more organized, more widespread, even more legalized under the Roman policy. They saw Christians as those who were rebellious, those who were aligned with the Jews because they didn't bow to worship the Roman emperor as a god or they didn't bow to the various Roman gods that were there. And so centuries of Christian persecution followed, including Emperor Diocletian's all-out effort to eradicate the church. But in 313 A.D., God's grace was poured out upon Emperor Constantine. When Emperor Constantine came to know Christ, and he, along with the Eastern ruler Licinius, they brought the Holy Roman Empire to tolerate Christians in the Edict of Milan. And so Christians for years enjoyed freedom under Emperor Constantine. Until, of course, the Roman Catholic Church became more powerful and replaced the power of Rome in the Middle Ages. And the persecution of Christians continued on, began once again, those who were Protestants through the Inquisition or through St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre and the martyrdom of many Protestants who began to proclaim the gospel, people like John Huss, or Hugh Latimer, or Thomas Ridley, or Thomas Craner, and Nicholas Ridley, I should say, and William Tyndale. And they began to exterminate those who would preach that the gospel is true and the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. The Roman Catholic Church would oppress those. And even today, Christians face persecution in many countries under Islam, under communist regimes, under Hindus. And it's been said that more Christians have been persecuted in the last 100 years and have died for their faith than in all of the centuries past in Christianity. 
to when Peter wrote this epistle. It was on the cusp of Christians facing severe persecution. Because around 64 AD, in July or so, the Roman Emperor Nero, who had a lust for building, torched Rome. And he had burned the city. And they burned the city on purpose because he wanted to rebuild it. He wanted to rebuild it, and so he burned it, and he burned Rome's homes and the shrines and the temples and the household idols. But down with the buildings also came the faith and the hope of the Romans themselves. Because according to the Romans, in their belief, it showed the fragility of their Greek gods who were not only unable to deal with the fires that Rome had suffered, but they were also victims of it. And so suspicion brewed among all of those citizens of Rome of who said it, and they thought that perhaps it was Nero. But the emperor Nero diverted that attention away from him, and he blamed it on Christians, making them the scapegoat of it all. Because Christians were already perceived to be those who were enemies of Rome, because of their singular devotion to Christ and not to the Roman Emperor, their singular devotion to Christ and not the Greek gods. And so in their persecution, their unjust punishment began against them. They would be taken and they would be dipped in wax and then set on fire in order to light the nights of Rome. They would be thrown to wild animals and many of them were crucified. Underneath this persecution throughout the Roman Empire, it's believed that Paul and the Apostle Peter were both martyred. In fact, according to tradition, Peter was said to have had to watch his own wife being crucified. And he comforted her by telling her, quote, remember the Lord. And then the time came for his own crucifixion and his own death, which... He told them that he was not worthy to be crucified like his Lord and so he desired to be crucified upside down and tradition says that he was. And in this context is the context in which Peter writes to these believers. The context of suffering, the context of who and what they were, which was the object of Rome's scorn, but the trophies of God's grace. He wrote to them in how to handle problems in life, no matter how large or how small they were. And he writes to them in this very beginning passage about the perspective, understanding their suffering and understanding who they were, because all of it begins with understanding who you are. If you're going to handle difficulties in life, particularly because you're a Christian, remember who you are, your identity as a Christian. And that is what he writes here. The two keys in facing suffering, in which he addresses them, first of all, by being what? In verse 1. To those who reside as aliens. Those who reside as aliens, he says. Scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He tells them and he calls them aliens, those who are, quote-unquote, temporary residents, or the word might mean foreigners or refugees, or those who were scattered, it says, those who are dispersed, from which we get that English word from, diaspora. 
to whom Peter was writing, it wasn't just the Jewish Christians, they were Gentile Christians, all spread across Asia Minor. And these cities that were here, currently cities in modern-day Turkey. And the idea behind what he is writing here was, you are aliens. And the idea is that this world is not your home. You're a foreigner here. You're an alien. You're a stranger. You're just passing through. This world is not your home. You know, when I was growing up, I grew up, as you know, I grew up in a motel that my father managed. We would have guests, relatives, friends who would come all the time. Sometimes they announced themselves, sometimes they didn't. My parents, I would watch as they would just give them a room and they would cook them breakfast, almost like a bed and breakfast. And they would give them our car keys so they could drive around, whatever. And then we'd have other people that we didn't know would rent rooms from the motel, a small little motel that would, that would uh, rent rooms and they'd be there for uh, a day or two days or a week and sometimes a month. But we knew that they wouldn't be there forever. Most of them were tourists. Some of them were truck drivers. Some of them were on business trips. I remember one truck driver as a little boy would always bring us some fish. We'd always have some salmon that he'd stop by and give us some fish. He was a nice guy. But he'd move on a few days later. None of these people who stayed at the motel, I'll tell you, would paint the walls. They would never clean the carpet or remodel things inside. They wouldn't buy flowers to put on the thing to make the room look better. They wouldn't have their mail forwarded there. They wouldn't, they wouldn't install a phone line, not that we'd allow them to. They wouldn't sweep the parking lot either. Why? We didn't expect them to because they were just passing through. They were just going to be there to stay for a little while. Just like when you're on a business trip, if you're with work and you're on a business trip, you, you live out of your suitcase. You're there for work. You get up in the morning and you're going to work. And then you go to that conference or you go to that work and then you come back and you maybe check your email or whatnot and then you go to bed. But you're there for work. You're there because you have a purpose. You're there for a goal. You're not there to raise your family in that, in that motel room or that hotel. You're not there for, for whatever. And yes, of course, we all have families and good meals and entertainment. But the fact of the matter is, we're there temporarily. And we're here in this world temporarily as well. We're passing through on, on our way to heaven. Heaven is our home. We're passing through to a better place. We're just residents for a short time. So Peter tells them that, so don't become too attached to this world or don't invest your life in the things that are here. But while you're here, you're going to have problems and suffering and difficulties. But remember, it's only temporary. It's only temporary. As Paul reminds us in Philippians 3.24, our citizenship is where? Our citizenship is in heaven. That's where our home is. That's where our permanent residence is. For which we wait, he says, for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, that's to be our perspective. We're just passing through because we're citizens of heaven. And the second thing he says and he reminds us of is that we are chosen. We're chosen. He says we're chosen, verse 1b, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God by the sanctifying work of the Spirit 
to obey Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. You were chosen. You know, God chose you and He chose me to be a part of His family. Some people... They don't believe that they were chosen. It rails against their sense of what they consider fair. And they'll argue and say, no, 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 God didn't choose me. I had free choice. I chose God. God didn't predestine me. Didn't predestine me. No, that's, that doesn't make sense. I don't believe that. And yet what God says that He did. He chose you. You were chosen. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Because it speaks even more clearly to the subject of this. In the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3, here Paul writes to the Ephesian church and he says to them, this is what you are. He says, first of all, in verse 1, to the saints, those who are Christians, grace to you, verse 2, and in verse 3, he said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What a privilege that is. Just as He chose us in Him. When? Before the foundation of the world. God chose you before the world was even made. That He, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, in which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. God chose us by His grace. God chose us and He predestined us, it says there. He predestined us as adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. Well, you say, well, that doesn't, that, that doesn't make sense. How can I choose God and God chooses me? It's part of the mystery of God when He enables you and frees your will and draws you to Himself. Though you held your fist up to God, God opened that hand by His grace so that you could receive salvation. Romans 3 tells us that we don't seek after God. 3.10, it says, none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is none who seeks for God. There is none who seeks for God, Romans 3 says. All have turned aside. There is none who does good, not even one. And it tells us in, in 1 Peter, when we look back at that passage, that not only did God choose us, He chose us for three things. According, first of all, according to the foreknowledge of God, and it carries the idea that He not only foreknew, but He foreordained. He chose us in that way. By the sanctifying work of the Spirit, the Spirit of God drew you to Himself for sanctification. By His sanctifying work He did. For what purpose? To obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. You see, God saved you not so that we might have just free ticket to heaven. God saved you not so that we would simply be happy and experience the joy that God wanted. It's not all about us. It's about God. And it's about God when we what? Obey Christ. That's the purpose. You realize God saved us to obedience to Christ. His purpose for us is that we follow Christ and we be like Jesus Christ. To obedience did God save us. 
We are to follow in obedience and God desires that we live in that obedience because God saved us out of a dismal condition. The condition of our sinfulness in which none sought after God. God saved us out of our sin in which we were helpless and we sing songs like that and the grace of God that is poured out upon us to enable us to receive that gift God gave to us by His grace. That's the purpose by which you were adopted. That's the purpose by which you were chosen. Lee Strobel in his writing wrote in his book Meet the Jesus I Know tells this story. It reads, quote, Shortly after the Korean War, a Korean woman had an affair with an American soldier and she got pregnant. He went back to the United States and she never saw him again. She gave birth to a little girl. And this little girl looked different than the other Korean children. She had light-colored curly hair. And in that culture, children of mixed race were ostracized by the community. In fact, many women would kill their children because they didn't want them to face such rejection. But this woman didn't do so. She tried to raise her little girl as best as she could. For seven years, she tried to do that until the rejection was too much. She did something that probably... No one in this room could imagine ever doing. She abandoned her little girl to the streets. This little girl was ruthlessly taunted by other people. They called her the ugliest word in the Korean language, meaning alien devil. It didn't take long for this little girl to draw conclusions about herself based on the way people treated her. For two years she lived in the streets until finally she made her way to an orphanage. One day word came that a couple from America was going to adopt a little boy. All the children in the orphanage got excited because at least one little boy was going to have hope. He was going to have a family. So this little girl spent the day cleaning up the little boys, giving them baths, and combing their hair, and wondering which one would be adopted by the American couple. The next day, the couple came. And this is what the little girl recalled. Quote, It was like Goliath had come back to life. I saw the man with his huge hands Lift up each and every baby. I knew he loved every one of them as if they were his own. I saw tears running down his face. And I knew that if they could, they would have taken the whole lot home with them. He saw me out of the corner of his eye. Now let me tell you, I was nine years old. But I didn't even weigh 30 pounds. I was a scrawny thing. I had worms in my body. I had lice in my hair. I had boils all over me. I was full of scars. I was not a pretty sight. But the man came over to me. and He began rattling away something in English. And I looked up at him. And then he took his huge hand and he laid it on my face. What was he saying? He was saying, 
I want this child, this child, this is the child for me. As the man reached out to her, she wrote later, quote, The hand on my face felt so good, and inside I said, Oh, keep that up. Don't let your hand go. But no one had ever shown that kind of affection to me before. I didn't know how to respond. So I yanked his hand off my face and I looked up at him and I spit on him. Then I turned around and ran away. Well, the couple returned the next day. They understood the suffering this little girl had gone through, the trauma that she had experienced, and in spite of her initial rejection of them, they went back to that little girl with lice in her hair, with worms in her body, and with boils all over her skin, and they said, we've got to have this little child. This is the one we want to adopt. And they did. They named her Stephanie, and they got her medical attention that she needed. They loved her just like... She was their own biological child. And she grew up and she became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she got married and has her own children. And now she lives here in the United States. I first heard that story, the story of Stephanie on Focus on the Family. as She was giving her testimony there over the radio broadcast. It's a story that pictures what this passage is speaking of. Because that is what we are. That is what we were. We were an abandoned orphan who were, who were full of our own sin. We had our own worms and we had our own lice and we had our own boils over our body because each time we sin is it as if that is what sin does to our souls. And when God looks at the heart, He sees blackness. And yet He looks down at your heart and my heart and He says what? This is the child. This is the one I want to adopt. We've got to have this one. This child is for me. And God chose you and He adopted you despite how you looked, despite that you and I spit at Him when He first looked at us because no one had ever treated us in that way before. And so Peter writes here to these people, look, you are just aliens and strangers because this world is a large orphanage, so to speak, with many people who have already rejected God, but you're not here. Come home with me. You're adopted as children of God, just passing through like aliens and strangers, but God, by His grace, chose you. And so when you face difficult times because of your faith, you pass on, you think to yourself, I'm just here temporarily. I'm just staying for a little while. I have a job to do like a man on a business trip. And after that job is done, then I will go home. I live here temporarily and so my roots aren't going to be too deep. Because if they're too deep, then what? It's so hard to pull up when I go home. And difficult times will pass as Peter writes to them later on. As for a little while, he says, these difficult times will come. But they will pass because the grace of God will come. As aliens and strangers who are chosen of God, God writes to us and He says to us, this is who you are. And if we remember those things, then God will carry us through. Because God has said to us, I want this child. This child is for me. And He has adopted you and I. Let's bow in a word of prayer.
Father in heaven, you have graciously chosen us. We don't know why, O oh Lord. We would have perhaps looked around and thought others more pretty than us in their souls. Others perhaps are more beautiful, more worthy. And yet by your grace, O oh God, you chose us. So, Father, may we remember that we are simply passing through as aliens and strangers. Especially, Father, when we face difficulties. Because these difficult times will pass. We pray, O oh God, that your grace would uphold us. Especially, Lord, those who are going through difficult times even now. May you carry them through. In Jesus' precious name, amen.